Food Court, the movie podcast and Twitch stream where John and this week's special guest Jason Sean watch shit, talk shit, and most importantly, eat shit. We are the law. Jason, thank you so much for joining me. We actually had you on a Twitch stream, one of our last Twitch streams before we added our permanent host Michael, but I enjoyed talking with you so much, and I know that you have so much to bring to this Thanksgiving Ranksgiving that we are attempting that I had to circumvent our own rules to get you back on. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to do it. And also, it's like it's like we had a great discussion on Blue Collar, but like that episode's kind of lost. Yes. So it's like it's like it's like I'm getting to make my second debut. It's it was it if you were if you were on the Twitch stream, you got to see it, but. We were still kind of learning how to turn our Twitch streams into podcasts, and there was just kind of like a, almost almost like the movie Alien 3. It was almost like we distorted and destroyed what we were trying to bring t- to light. <laughs> and there was no, we, don't, we didn't have the budget to go back and make an assembly cut or a work print cut. But uh, Jason, you are a film critic, and you also work for uh, local art house theater, Belcourt, which is just now back up and running. Which I would be yes. remiss to if I didn't give you a chance to plug your wares and warehouses. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm uh, I work at the Bell Court sometimes. Uh, when 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 we we get to open back up fully, you know, I'll be involved with the midnight movies there. Um, now it's sort of like it's a it's a very um, it's a mellow thing. Like we we've upgraded all our safety protocols and everything. We got like the UV scrubbers and the HVAC system and all of that. But um, it's still, you know, it's like people are very, you know, very gingerly approaching the idea of like going into public spaces. And we understand that completely. Uh, but, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm writing for the Nashville scene like I've been doing. I'm writing for the AV Club now. Yeah. Which is that. like a weird development that I'm like incredibly grateful for. And also I keep feeling like I'm going to get an email someday. And they're like, we made a mistake. But uh, so we'll see. <laughs> I was so excited to see your byline there. I actually stumbled onto it uh, without having uh, seen you tweet it out. So I was like, kind of like, is this a comment? Is this an? Ex-? I was like, I was like, no, he's writing for the AV Club, and I, that was really neat to see someone because the AV Club is like rarefied air now. Yeah, it's um, it's very weird. It's like I still haven't read a single comment post on it because like like the AV Club comment section that's like. That's where like the the like a very special like refined kind of vitriol lives right. or, like arose. So I'm like I'm I'm always terrified. I just I, <laughs> I, I don't read it, and that's okay. Yeah, um, I, I've 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 heard you know amongst the greater life hacks is never read the comments. But <laughs> I must admit there is a certain Schadenfreude, especially if it's if it's something I've made. I like to I like to get in there. <laughs> There's there's something about being you know uh, labeled the wrong sex or wrong uh, or wrong species that is uh, kind of uh, freeing. It's a, it's like an ego an ego kill almost. <laughs> I've yeah. been destroyed online more times than I can count, and you can just get used to it after a while. But you're not kidding. <laughs> that that can be a cesspool at the AV club. But I'd also like I feel like it's kind of one of the last bastions of like. Where genre and like, like being serious about films remains. You know what I mean? Where they haven't really chosen a side. Well, no. It's, I mean, it's just it's it's a great, it's a community, mm-hmm. and it, like unlike most communities on the internet, it hasn't been you know like overrun by Nazis. Right. So that's a plus. God, uh, that happens. <laughs> uh, 
what so, what know, would have happened to Ain't It Cool News if uh, Harry Knowles hadn't have been canceled? Like, what would have happened to that comment section? I <laughs> I don't know. You know, I can't. I it's it's such a weird like when when the history of like genre film journalism is written, it, there's going to be just so many question marks and <laughs> italics and footnotes. I mean, I mean, I did, I did a few pieces for ain't it cool back in like the late nineties and early aughts. Oh yeah. Um, it's not under my name. No sure. one's ever guessed it. Like, but if there, there, there's three of them. And if, if any, any of your listeners who can figure out what the three are, um, we'll get a, a bumper sticker or something. I don't know. Right. Or, as long as you're not Quint, I think you're safe. <laughs> but we've talked enough yeah, yeah. about, uh, the, uh, the uh, foaling kales of online criticism. Uh, let's get into Alien 3, part of our Thanksgiving Ranksgiving, a reassessment. And a uh, for me, sometimes, in the case of Benjamin Button, like the first time I've seen some of David Fincher's movies, I had seen, of course, Alien 3. I'm a devout uh, xenomorphist. Um, Alien is in the conversation for my favorite movie of all time. But first of all, we're going to put you on the stand, Jason, and have you attempt to summarize, to render a summary judgment of not only Alien 3, but something that we've done for this podcast especially, because this is a really nerdy deep dive. I I asked Jason if he was into watching uh, the theatrical cut and the assembly cut, and then Jason, like, called my bluff and raised, put all in, and sent me something uh, called the work print. The Alien 3 work print. So, Jason, if you could talk about these three versions of this film. Okay. Um, basically, all right, here's the, the, the basic synopsis. This applies to all three. After the events of Aliens, Ellen Ripley, um, there, something happens on uh, the Sulaco, which is the ship she's on at the end of Aliens. There's a fire. There's chaos. She's bundled into uh, her hypersleep tube, gets sent into a shuttle, and like the, ex- sent out of the ship, and it crash lands on a prison planet, Fiorina One Six One. It's basically like there's just a bunch of apocalyptic evangelical prisoners there. Um, it's just a dying world, and she has crash landed there. Newt and Hicks are dead. The bishop that we learn to love the last time around is um has negative capability and you know because she's ellen ripley she begins to think okay something's up there very well could be an alien involved and you know what there is so it's basically uh spam in a cabin only it's on a prison planet um and then she makes the horrifying discovery that she's got one inside her that what caused the fire on the the thing was um was uh, an egg hatching into a face hugger. You know, they bleed acid. It starts fires, and she's got an alien embryo inside her. So the ticking clock for this one is she has got to kill the alien that is on the loose on the prison planet and then kill herself um, so that the company, who is, like, hauling ass across the stratosphere to try and um, to try and get her and get the alien inside her before she can do anything about it. Ah. So that's 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 the movie across all of the all the different versions. Now, the first version I'm talking about, just in terms of this, is the work print, which is the hardest one to see, but it's notable because it's the only one that was a, that was put together while Fincher was still part of the production. 
Like the work print was basically done uh, when when Fox shut down production in the UK because of the the first Gulf War. They um, they were basically like, okay, just put an assembly together of what we've got so far, and then we'll figure out what we need to do in reshoots and stuff when we get back to LA. And when they got back to LA, um, the the producers, namely Ezra Swordlow, but there's a lot of people. There's an essential documentary on the Blu-ray set that like goes in. It's like three hours long, and it goes into like, you know, how the sausage was made, and it tells you exactly who to hate. But yeah, Fincher walked. So, um, so the, the 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 work print is notable because there are several things that are just not there. You you don't know where the alien comes from because they hadn't shot that yet. But in a way. I like that because it's, you know, it's an alien movie. It's inevitable. The alien is going to be there. You know, it wouldn't be an alien movie if they didn't. So it like, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, but you know, your, your mileage may vary on that one. So they get back to LA and there's, there's more stuff shot and, um, that, you know, other directors are brought in and like other cinematographers and all that. And, you know, there's enough there that, um, you can see sort of the skeleton of that is what's called the assembly cut that's on the Blu-ray and the DVD um, that, you know, restores 30 minutes to what was put out in theaters. And Um, I feel like more people have probably seen the assembly cut than any other cut at this point. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, because the, the thing is like the, the, the theatrical cut was like literally Fox, like just like Fincher was gone so like they could just cut it to their heart's content and they're like if we get it under two hours we can get an extra showing a day (laughs) right (laughs) and and that was the thing so if you watch like now here's the thing when i first saw the theatrical cut it was messy but it was beautiful right like there's there's things in this film like it was announcing david fincher as a major talent from the beginning right like and like you know he walked and um, and he disowned it, and he refuses to talk about it. Except he says he refuses to talk about it, but he still finds time to shit talk it every time he can. And <laughs> you know that's his prerogative. I'm not I'm not holding that against him because like it's obvious that there's a great deal of hurt all around for this. But the fact of the matter is is that like things that he did for this film are incredible, and it made an impression on me. Like I wrote an essay about it back when the only version that was available to anybody was the theatrical one. And that got me into NYU. Yeah. Um, so it's always like been part of that. And um, but then you know, like it's it had poisonous word of mouth. I mean, like in Europe, it did really well. Right. Like Europe was just like, no, we dig this. But in America, people had people wanted aliens. They wanted more aliens. They wanted the the like militaristic video game vibe. And that's fine. It's that, a bit, you know, it's a bit. Once you go Cameron, you can't go back. Kind of in the in the zeitgeist at this point, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, he he defines popular movie going like pretty much every time he makes a film, right? Um, but like what he did, the like the problem with it is that like you know if you look at the Alien films, Aliens is kind of the odd man out because well it's flat, <clears throat> it's not scope like the other films, so visually it's different already. But it also what it does is it takes this like cosmic chthonic threat and it makes it into like this insect. Right. You know, it turns it into you know, they call it a bug they joke about bug hunting. It's a bug hunt. Um, yeah. It, it really turns it into a B movie. Yeah, and it, it's beautifully made. Like right. it, Aliens has a perfect script for teaching like setup and payoff and all that. And it's great and I'm and it was a phenomenon and I'm glad of that. But it's like 
you know, it's a great movie. Is it a great alien movie? I don't know. I think it's doing its own thing. It and is it, like, definitely totally the the I'm least. Sorry, it is the least horrific. It is the least. Um, it kind of strips away a lot of the the. Sure, there's a lot of horror and gore, and but it's not that body horror that H.R. Giger that what's lurking underneath the skin horror of the rest of the of the rest of the films. And and I, I'm an, I'm in agreement. Like if I had never seen these other cuts, which I, I don't think I had seen the assembly cut nor the work cut because I just I was one of the people who like I just liked Alien Three. Like, even though it was much derided, I liked the original Alien 3. I think it's really great. And I, I like, you can see that the guy who would later make Seven and the guy who would make Gone Girl, you can see he's there. You really can. And it's and it's in a really weird and, like, uh, in-the-bones way. But it's totally there. And I, I have a feeling that I totally understand why Fincher would never want to talk about this again because I cannot think of a director who is more in control and more... Uh, loathsome of being out of control than David Fincher, and he truly was had lost control of this picture. Well, yeah, and what's funny about it is that, like, I mean, the, 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 to tie this into Mank, like the the way that he's sort of, you know, he's given those interviews where he's kind of like he's not talking shit about Orson Welles, right? But he's just like, you know, he was a good visual stylist, but he had a good team with him, and like everybody always gives him credit for these things, and it's just sort of like, dude. Alien Three is your Orson Welles movie. <laughs> I know it's, it's uh, every it's time your magnificent it, Ambersons. Yes. it's your touch of evil. I, it's I can't the thing that got taken away from you. It's to the point it's where so I think amazing, even it, after that, it's to the point where I think this is like a marketing scheme to rile up the film boys to care because the stuff that Fincher says not only is this is your magnificent Ambersons that was butchered and taken away from you, yet still remains an incredible movie. But also, I saw the credits to Mank. Eric Roth is on those credits. Other famous screen doctors are on those credits as producers. And then Fincher had the balls to give his dad sole screenwriting credit. I mean, it's almost like a commentary on on the on the Orson Welles. It's almost like a joke. So I mean, I think I think there's more beyond the pale. But yeah, I think uh, like and 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 this is way off topic, but you bring up Mank. I'm so excited. I was so pleased to see the Fincher Charles Dance reunion. Yeah, that was that was a very nice. Well, and that's what's funny to me is how, you know, Charles Dance has had this like amazing intervening few decades. And like, you know, everybody knows him from Game of Thrones or like all the stuff he's done interveningly. And it's like like he's always Clemens from Alien 3 to me, like always like I can never accept him as a villain because he's always just like the tragic morphine addict who like, you know, who was who was just who was there when Ellen Ripley really needed somebody for something special. But he it is, was like he has had this long storied career from Game of Thrones to Last Action Hero as this epic villain. And yeah. then you see him in Alien 3 and not only is he like the most poignant um like delicate character but he's also sexy as hell somehow yeah. <laughs> on this you prison planet and i just like i wished i had more charles dance as like a noble protagonist in my life <laughs> yeah it's weird. he also he he has more of a backstory than any other character in any alien film yeah it's wild it's wild, but it's and it's just one monologue. But it just like it, it, it tells you so much, and it's it's just this great little fatalistic portrait. And it's 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 one of those things that like 
I I admire that. I admire like taking the time to like build a character like that. It's just there's so many things that Alien Three does that pissed so many people off. And, uh, you know, for, right from the beginning, I mean, like like before you even get to the images of what happens on, on the Sulaco, you know, when it does that thing where the last note of the 20th Century Fox fanfare gets flattened and goes right into the score, this like like a tonal like in a tonal requiem mass that Elliot Goldenthal does. <laughs> um, I just you, you're on edge from there. And then it you know, it's just like before the credits are over, it's all gone to shit. And then, you know, as soon as she wakes up, like the, the everything that she risked for in the previous film, dead, gone, <laughs> negative capability. And it's like I'm not trying to say, you know, that grimdark is the way to go because it's not. Right. You know, I, <clears throat> I, I eschew like all that sort of ed, edgelord 90s philosophy. But like Alien 3 kind of invented it and did it better. Right. Because <clears throat> it basically is like it's not like, you know, like, oh, this needs to be extreme and painful. But it acknowledges like. The thing about Alien, the thing about the Alien films, is that it it has a kind of horror that there is no respite from. That there's nothing – the only response you can have to it in the long term is to die or to evolve. Right. And But when Aliens turns it in, into an action film – that it's it, it makes it more accessible, you know. That you can have the, uh, the 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 kids' toys and the and all the and the video games and all of that. And it's it it boggles my mind because it's like it's sort of like you know it's sad that the little girl dies. It's sad that Michael Bean dies because who doesn't love Michael Bean? But it's also it's a course correction. It's like you know this the, un, the a universe that has the xenomorph in it cannot cannot support cuteness it right. can't support a happy ending and um which i so think it, is part of the reason why why like the newt ripley um mother through line never works for me in aliens and yet somehow works for me in alien 3 like well it's a, he accomplishes I, more in that incredibly disturbing uh, autopsy scene than than james cameron does in all of aliens Oh, well, yeah. And it's, well, it's also, it's like, it's the, the one thing that, um, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it would be more effective in aliens if it was, if it was a little bit more subtle, but you know, it's just like aliens is not a subtle film and that's okay. Right. Like that, there's a reason why that's the one that the public loves more than anything else, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I respect that, but just an indication, like the scene, um, like the scene leading up to the, um, the autopsy, which is just grotesque and horrifying and violent, and that—that's the one that caused like, like such fury behind the scenes at Fox. I'm sure. Is that, <laughs> but, but like the three different versions, like the scene, the, there, there's a scene. It's not in the theatrical cut, but it's just as as they're going down the stairs to the morgue. Clemens is like, "Was she your daughter?" And in the um, in the the work print, it's a long shot. It's mm-hmm. distant, and she's like, "No, she wasn't." And then in the assembly cut, uh, depending on if you watch it on the DVD or the Blu-ray, the the DVD used production sound, so it's the same sound, um, but it's it's a closer, it's a medium shot instead of a long one. 
And then the the the, the Blu-ray of the Assembly Cut, Sigourney Weaver actually did went in and yeah. relooped some of the dialogue, so it's much more emphasized. It's like no, she wasn't. Whereas just like that, that's one of the the, the little touches in the work print is just like it's already a process of disengaging with this narrative that the public is sort of assigned. It's just like, Oh, it's like, you know, like mom's going to save the day. And it's just like, not in this universe. No. And I, I, I find that fascinating that, and, and, and Fox of course was just like, we cannot have Ripley saying that Newt was not her daughter in the theatrical version of this film. It's like they cut all the religious stuff <laughs> yeah. and then they cut that because that was, that was a bridge too far. We can show you like, we can we can use elliptical cuts and horrifying sound design to like basically disassemble this little girl's body, but the idea of Ripley saying that she wasn't her daughter, no, no, society could not withstand that in 1992. It, I, it's you bring up the religious stuff, and that makes me want to talk a little bit about the formation of this film and the other Alien films because <clears throat> it struck me as I'm watching them, I find Alien to be the most incredible synthesis of many different artists and parts of a filmmaking crew's dream somehow making its way onto screen. Because it's like, not just Ridley Scott, there's, you know, Giger and Mobius and, you know, uh, Cobb and and, uh, Dan O'Bannon. And it's like this amazing thing where everyone got... It somehow is like this group thought thing that that you know this 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 larger thing that hits the screen and is indelible. Then <clears throat> Aliens is very much Jim Cameron shit. Yeah, and then Alien Three is exactly where that type of everyone has a piece of the puzzle thing kind of goes or almost goes horribly wrong. But luckily, is kind is saved just through. Like the sheer fincherness of it all, the, the the strength of his vision keeps it on the path. But if you look into the making of this movie, it is as compelling and as frankly disturbing as the film itself. We start with a screenplay by William Gibson and end up with another screenplay by Vincent Ward uh, mm. that features uh, monk, mad monks living on a wooden planet. But uh, yeah. I'll let you That's- I'll let you get back on course if you would. Oh no! I mean, there's there's so many different versions of it, and um, and like one of the favorite things, and he gets no he gets no official credit anywhere, but um, uh, this guy John Fasano, uh, he did he did a bunch of work on the screenplay, like as they were sort of like trying to tackle aspects of the Vincent Ward thing before Fincher came on, and John Fasano is um in the late '80s and early '90s he made um two of my favorite surprise Jesus heavy metal horror movies. <laughs> he did a rock and roll nightmare also oh. known as age of hell with John Michael Thor. And, um, he also did uh, black roses. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And I was, I didn't know that was the same guy, but those are like, yeah, those are indelible films. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just, it's, he's part of it. He's never really gotten credit, but like there's, there's just sort of in the Has way anyone collected that, like, those music videos of that era. It's a hmm. I'm sorry to, a, to drag it to a halt, but that, that that's that's the, something needs to be done with that because the music and Fincher coming from that world, the music videos of that era more so that like you see the birth of modern cinema in and all of that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and also, I mean, it also helps that like you had you had a lot of like film school students who you know they didn't have the experience to get feature films, so they were making music videos, and you know they'd been through film school, and that's why so many of the great videos 
are in a dialogue with like classic cinema, like Fincher himself, um, you know, express yourself with Madonna. That was like his breakthrough with her. That's, you know, Metropolis. Yeah. And, um, uh, what was the other one of his that was like, well, and Vogue, you know, is like an amazing, like his work with Madonna, the four videos they did together are all superb. They are just great. Is that Papa and, don't um, preach also? No, no, it was, uh, um, express yourself. Vogue, Oh Father, Oh Father, and Bad. Yeah, Oh Father is what I'm thinking of because like that is not a hit song, <laughs> and he's oh, just like, I'm doing that no, one, well, Madonna, that, please, that, baby. <laughs> that was when he and Madonna were having their little affair, her tryst, and yeah. um, and you know it was like she put her heart and soul into that song, and he was just like, you should release it as a single and let me do the video, <laughs> yeah. and she's like, all right. <laughs> and that and that video is like I thought I I was remembering it as Papa Don't Preach, but that is the video that hits you the hardest and you're and that makes you think that Madonna's like an actress and a screen titan for a while. You you watch yeah. that and you're like, Oh, I see why they put her in these movies and then you watch her movies and you're like, No, Fincher was having one on over us, but you know, it happens. Bad girl is the same way. Now what's interesting is that originally he was gonna direct Truth or Dare, mm-hmm. but um but Madonna wouldn't let him have final cut, and he was just like, "No, I can't do it." <laughs> uh, his company, Propaganda Films, still produced it, right. but um, but like you know, she gave it to Alec Kashishin, who was like, he, he had some interesting thoughts. But like, could you imagine if Fincher had directed Truth or Dare? It would be a whole like the whole course of both Madonna's career and his would be very different. Yes. Uh, but uh, and then but then also like as far as like. Um, you know, mitigating classic cinema through his stuff. You know, Fincher grew up, you know, he, as part of the industry gang. Like he was doing effects on Return of the Jedi when he was like, you know, young. Yes. Um, and he, he knew his stuff. Like, you know, his dad knew, like, all, had his dream project of the Herman Mankiewicz story and all that. So he was aware of these things. And if you, the, 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 the thing that clicked for me in college was, you know, I went as an Alien 3 fan and a defender. And then I saw um, Carl Theodore Dreyer's The Passion of Joan of Arc for the first time, and I was just like, oh, right. this is Alien 3. And like Alien 3 is like a splatterpunk version of The Passion of Joan of Arc, and um, it's uh, – it's it, 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 they're, they're really, really amazing uses of some of the, the cinema, cinematographic techniques that Dreyer uses in that um, and that, that, that Fincher finds his own use for. In Alien Three, and I, I've that's one of the things I've always been fascinated by because, like you know, like I loved his music videos, and then I saw Alien Three, and I was like, yeah, this guy's the real, real. And people did not care for that film at all. And all of a sudden, I find myself in college in the '90s, and I'm like, I'm like banging the gong for this guy, right? And then Seven comes out, and like on opening day, like I have my tickets, I'm like making all my friends go, and like my my buddy Charlie who I went to high school with is the only other person who was like pro alien three. And we're both like, this guy knows what he's doing. And everybody else was just like, they like begrudgingly got their tickets to go see seven. And when that movie was over, it was just like, it was unspoken, but Charlie and I drank for free that night because we were right about David Fincher. <laughs> so I've been, I've been, um, I've been, I've been, you know, like I've been interested in everything he's done since then. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, I, I love a lot of his films. Um, some of them not so much. And, uh, it's, a uh, it's very interesting when like 
the film that made you care about a director's career, they won't even talk about. Yes. Like it's like he 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 just by cutting that off, like you know, when Fox was just like, here's some money. Do you want to come back and like recut this and do this? And he was like, absolutely not. He wanted nothing to do with it. And like, I respect that. But at the same time, it's like, I'm. You you, 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 well, it's just you watch the documentary behind the scene and just they. No, no filmmaker should have to put up with a lot of the foolishness that he got dumped on him making that movie. Right. And it's really, it's just really sad. And it's, um, but it's also like why when, you know, because studio regimes get overturned so quickly, like the next time he worked with Fox with the, on Fight Club, like they make a point of bulk erasing VHSs of Alien 3. And, you know, <laughs> he, Helena Bonham Carter gets to sing the theme from Valley of the Dolls. So he didn't have a problem working with Fox again. Same with uh, Gone Girl. That was a Fox film as well. It's like, so it's sort of like this film because the people who did that to him and did that to the film aren't with the company anymore. Yeah, I was about to say, I do do feel like Fox had been gutted by then, and I don't know if he works with those same very people again, you know. I don't think he would work with the same people, but that the film is like the, it's like the incarnation of that time and those people. So like he can work with the company because the company is not the same, but to go back and work on alien three again would be like putting himself into that. Like I get it. I'm not trying to be like an amateur sure. psychologist or anything, yeah. but like, I mean, it's, it's very complicated and I just wish he would like, you know, it's just like, I'm, I'm interested because it's like he took, he took five scripts worth of chicken shit from the studio and Guyler and Hill and um, Gordon Carroll and all these people, and he turned a lot of it into chicken salad. Right. Like it's, it's there's so much that's good in Alien Three. There's so much that's ambitious and amazing, and I, it just boggles my mind that like yeah I used to I used to get into more fights about Alien Three than any other film. Easy like, to do. I, and then, then, then when the um, the assembly cut, when they first put it out on that god quadrilogy DVD set, that's not a word. <laughs> I love saying quadrilogy to people just to see if their eyes gloss over at my <laughs> inherent <laughs> apishness. <laughs> Whoever came up with that word, I hope they got fired. It's probably it's probably Jyler and Hill. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I mean, I can't hate Walter Hill. He's no. made so many good things. But but, but like, he, Walter Hill, to me, I don't think of like operatic alien film when I think of Walter Hill. He just yeah. happens to be attached to these. I think of the outfit. And I think of you know, <laughs> you know, the great scripts he wrote. I don't think of what Alien is. You know. Well, and there, and there's the whole thing about like you know, there's there's the battles over like credit between uh, Guyler and Hill and um, Dan O'Bannon. Uh, behind the first one and it's just it's so messy and that's the problem with like every work of art that you love that was made in hollywood is Follow that like money yeah deep enough it gets messy um but but one one thing that i think is a through line throughout fincher's stuff and my favorite of fincher's works are when he takes something that is for lack of a better word trash or a mess or in some cases, an Oprah book club, and t- 
takes it to this that lets him put it almost it's like it lets him put more of his essence and more of what what he loves about filmmaking more of it into the film and it's like becomes more personal because like even alien 3 like i feel like despite all the quagmire that we go through i'm like that is the work of uh, of of a storyteller and an artist uh gone girl which you know i, I don't have any interest in really reading Gillian Flynn's work and I don't really have any interest in like stuff like uh like honestly like Mank is one of those lurid like screenwriter as main character type movies that I think could fail in the work in the hands of different filmmaker like if Norman Jewison makes Mank I die inside you know uh but with Fincher it's like becomes this like sardonic um living thing and I I think he I think Fincher's at his best when he is uplifting like genre trash. That's my favorite Fincher by far. Uh, it's yeah, I, I hadn't thought of it that I think I think his best stuff are like procedurals. Yes, he does procedure really well, and he also works incredibly well with strong women. You know, like he does like really good work. Like I liked his his dragon tattoo. I didn't love it because it wasn't as revelatory as the Swedish one, but um, I, I like him working with like with like an iconic persona like sure. i really did that and i i didn't much care for mank like it's it, to me it's his big fish right it's like wrecking with the legacy of like your dad and um you know that's which is that's, funny because benjamin button is very big fishy to me but I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up procedural because zodiac zodiac's incredible my favorite venture I, I don't think it'll be knocked off of the Thanksgiving, but zodiac that book that is an airport book, my friend. That is like a, a a nonsense book that he obsessed over and turned into one of the best movies I've ever seen. Like, yeah, no, Zodiac. Zodiac is incredible. Yeah, and it's just like like it's so good. It's almost worth him destroying Jake Gyllenhaal. Like <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I feel like I feel, I I honestly feel like there's a little bit of David Fincher in Mr. Music sure. in a John Mulaney and a Sack Lunch Bunch. Yes, yes. Because there's, there, there's something about that, like 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 insane mania that, like I I feel like okay, this is a very very sharp critique he's giving us here. Um, but <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 fascinating, and also it's like you can also tell that now that it's finally gotten a U.S. release, you can tell that he loves uh, Bong Joon Ho's um, Memories of Murder, right? Like that that and Zodiac make a perfect double feature. Yeah, that's that. Actually, seeing Memories of Murder, which took me forever to track down, was the first time. Besides, you mentioned Dreyer earlier, and Fincher, obviously, like Fincher. Besides Paul Schrader. To me, is the the filmmaker who's brought the most of Dreyer into his oeuvre. But the, when I saw Memories of Murder, was the first time I was like, "Oh, David Fincher watches movies." Because <laughs> 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 there are moments where, like, and of course in Mank, it, it's almost uh, syrupy the uh, the homage and the um, and the and the stuff that he brings to it. But but a lot of times, I feel like the way David Fincher works is so different from his peers especially his like blocking and staging and the way because he still moves the camera either the most or the least of any filmmaker i i've just about ever seen and that's not really how his peers work these days so it was interesting to finally feel some influence but yeah memories of murder when is that movie going to get a like a an easier access for because that, that's that's a movie people will love 
Neon's got it. It is. It had a. It had a, a virtual release. Oh, good. Um, during the pandemic, and there, there'll be like a proper disc and stuff from them. But yeah, no, that was ne- Neon made a project of that this year. So good on them. Um, the uh, well, the 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 thing about uh, Fincher and Procedure is that um, it's one of the reasons why I think Zodiac is one of the first truly great digital films. Uh, because like he's he has embraced digital for the same reason that Stanley Kubrick would have as well. Just the num- because, what he can the number of things he can do with it. The takes. Yeah, the- yeah you, can, you 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 have a, an infinite number of takes as long as you've got storage things. You can get you know, reshape performances to the exact point that you want. And um and it's interesting when you go back and watch his films that were made on actual film. Because it required a bit more – I don't want to say more discipline because that sounds judgy and I'm not trying to use weasel words. But it's like right. when you were shooting on film, you had to be a bit more – you couldn't just again and again and again and again. You had to like be more nimble and on your feet, um, especially when you have like studio execs like behind you with like a – you know, like a, with a taser, just like, yeah. no, 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 keep it going. And so, other um, other than time is money, it really eliminates the entire budgetary concern as far as the takes and, the, and, and, and doing stuff like that because it just doesn't cost what reams and reams of film cost. Well, exactly, which is – but one of the reasons why a lot of times that, like, people find that it actually – technically was cheaper to shoot on film is if you if you did if you buckled down and you right. made sure you're getting exactly what you wanted sure it's like it just it, it depends on like the the image that you've got in your head if like if it's something that you have you have precision like in your mind and on your storyboards you shoot it on film if you can um but you know if you if you need if you need the the options that um infinite variations can create you know digital is right for you right um listen to me i sound like a like a a a new millennium salesperson which is not (laughs) at all at all yeah i was a i went to to my i did uh graduate film school like literally the last year before the digital changeover in in terms of like i i did all my film school projects on high eight and 16 millimeter yeah and I went to Florida State, and we still were, you know, cutting cells and stuff. And honestly, I wish I had learned all the digital stuff because <laughs> now it's like that's the foreign language to me. But uh, I hate, I hate the process of editing. I have so much respect for people who can do it. Yeah, but like, but when, but when I learned, I learned for like, you know, two classes on a Steambeck just because they made everybody do that, and like that, like that's like. That's like alchemy. That's like right. working with chemicals and like, like reshaping things. Like I dig that. Like I could have, if I had to be an editor, that I, there's no possible way that that would happen. But I would, I would prefer to do it on film because it's like, it's a textural thing. The Schoonmacher like, school, uh, school as opposed to what, what now you know they're editing practically in camera on set. It's, a, it's a oh, yeah. different yeah. beast. There's like there, there are there are eight year olds. With cell phones and and millions of YouTube followers who understand editing better than I ever will. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, more power to them. <laughs> it's it's uh, I think it's also you've brought up um, Dreyer earlier, and mm-hmm. you brought up uh, one thing I like about Fincher is that when when you see his influence or when you see him messing with like even when he does Fight Club. It's like this kind of like 
brooding teenage take on this and during this era of Fincher's career because I feel like Fincher has periods like 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 a like a like a you know like a blue period and a, or in this case it's like like a dripping wet bloody street period versus uh, what comes later with Zodiac and Gone Girl but the, the, you can feel like Fincher's testosterone and like pubescent rage at some points in his career and it comes out but in, in, in a sort of intelligent way whereas the Fincher we have now is just such a like um, a different animal completely it, it's, it's hard to believe that they're the same filmmaker at times well, it's like I, th- I think I don't even I, I don't know if I would necessarily agree on the idea that you could separate them out into chronological periods. I think he has modes that okay. sort of recur because like the thing about Fight Club that distinguishes it from everything else he's ever done is that it's funny. Like Fight Club is funny. Gone Girl is hysterical. I, I was about to say, I think Gone Girl is like a flat out comedy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like. Um, and and you know like Zodiac is one of his procedurals and yeah also and, funny so it's historical yeah. drama yeah and there's there's so it's like there's 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 modes that he returns to um, and I you know I find it interesting like and then he, and then he's got like his pure formal exercise like Panic Room which is like Panic Room still plays yeah like as much of as much of a joke as jared leto is and like the and the, and the whole realization like oh my god that's Kristen stewart you know it's like <laughs> she's a star a man she's a star yeah. oh she's great <laughs> yeah. she's great she's so good but I, i've been i've been, I've been writing up a year-end things for several of my gigs and i've been like like every single one of them i've had to talk about um uh, happiest season and underwater. Underwater was my movie of the year, Jason. <laughs> oh, you can't you can't go wrong with underwater because Kirsten Stewart doing the Sigour- the classic Sigourney Weaver thing. It's paced so beautifully, and T.J. Miller dies horribly. So. <laughs> and see, and uh, Vincent Cassell kind of in the Charles Dance like soulful, uh, soulful like. Uh, guy that you root for mode that i didn't know he had in him you know i've only seen him yeah. as like this bombastic overly french ridiculous man and then he turns in that performance but yeah i was i, I underwater i'll defend to my dying day i, I oh, bought great. it the day yeah. it came out probably saw it five times in theaters i don't know what's wrong with me it's great that's that was uh that was that's such a fun one um the uh, mentioning Charles Dance again, like Charles Dance has my favorite line in Alien Three. There, there are two moments that are like that are that are just among my favorite things. Like the Charles S. Dutton, who's who's great in it. He has that whole thing with the um, <laughs> the when when it, when he's gathering the, the the surviving members, and he's just like um, he's just like you know the, he's like and nobody ever gave me nothing. And the way he says it, I'm just like, I love that. I have a sample of that in my the album I did in the early aughts. Because <laughs> I love that. But the best line in the whole film, and it's Charles Dances, and it's when he's talking about um, what he saw in the, the hallway after they find the guy who got diced in the fan. Um, and he's just like, a mock, a burn. And it's just like, that is, you could make, that it, that those four words is like everything that's great about Alien Three. It's just like it's just like something's not what it should be. Um, it's it's uncharacteristic of everything else that's around it, and the implication is that this is something that will recur. And it's it's just great. That one one of the other uh, variants that I think is hysterical, the uh, theatrical and assembly cut 
uh, both use uh, the song the 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 prisoner who gets diced and that when he falls into the ceiling fan or the wall fan when the um, the alien spits ass in his face is singing um, uh, in the year twenty five twenty five exordium and terminus, <laughs> um, but in the in the work print it's painted black. Yeah, and um, which is just which also when as visually degraded as the image is on that, um, it it suits it so well. Like the, I I love. I've I've grown to fetishize like how how the work print is because you know it was before there was a score. At one point in time there wasn't gonna be any score at all. My friend, you have not fetishized it. I've only seen it twice. Mm-hmm. And it is a it is a transformative viewing experience. Furthermore, mm-hmm. it is almost awesome watching that movie without the music in. It's like yeah. a, it's like a strange experience. And I'm glad you brought up Paint It Black because that is the beginning of David Fincher having the most on the nose uh, musical choices that totally work. It's true. <laughs> Immigrant it's song true. and uh, and the girl with the dragon tattoo, amazing selection. Yeah. Almost embarrassing, but somehow works. Well, I mean like and and then 7, like it opens with that like weird like uh is it coil it's a it's a remix of closer by nine inch nails uh with, a, with that, <laughs> i didn't with know that mcdaniel like cutting montage and stuff but the the end credits of seven is uh heart's filthy lesson by david bowie which is off of his outside album which is the best david bowie album it's his like art rock murder concept thing and there's i have a, i have this whole theory that Anytime a movie uses a song from David Bowie's Outside album, it's a great movie. Uh, other films that use songs from that album, uh, Starship Troopers, um, uh, Intimacy. Uh, two for two. Oh, God. Um, there's uh, – damn it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to email you this because it's, I'm not remembering oh, I'm off in. the top of my head. I'm ready. But I'm ready for people to start using uh, tracks off of Reznor's Bowie album. What was it, Earthling? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's – I mean, the, the, he, the, the Earthling was the the one right after Outside, and it's that same time period when they were touring together. Yeah. But um, why do I? Oh, uh, Lost Highway. Oh. Uh, has I'm deranged. Starship Troopers has I have not been to Oxford Town, although they changed the lyrics a little bit. Um, Intimacies is the motel. Um, shit. What is the? In a roundabout way, we've stumbled into Verhoeven Town, and Verhoeven's flesh uh, plus blood, for some reason, speaks to me in this Alien Three world. Uh, Just oh, it's great! No, it's it's a it's a it's a medieval film. It's a yeah, the harsh brutality, the 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 meat and the poisoned meat in the well is in Alien Three. You know. Like, well, I mean, it's a it's the best Crusades movie ever made, and it's <laughs> it's one of the best plague movies ever made. Um, it's funny, like it's like a motif that kind of recurs in Fincher's work. These like bald headed nihilist white men living in this like like uh, nightmare world where there's no hope, <laughs> and and you can even find it within movies you wouldn't expect to find it. But it's Fincher's so interesting in that way because. He was able to transplant stuff like we talked about how this script went through so many permutations from Vincent Ward, who didn't like what dreams may come, which leads me to like what dreams may come bursting through your chest. That's a movie that I kind of want to see, even though it's 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 long gone uh, and, and replaced by a master filmmaker. But I like how Fincher is like able to get like his Fincher shit in, you know, 
that's what artists do. They get their shit in, whether no matter what they're working on. I mean, some, you've, if you like, I mean, unless you're a total mercenary, which Fincher is not. No. I mean, there's got to be something that draws you to a project as to why you want to tell that story. Right. Um, and it's it's always interesting to see like, um, you know, what that is, um, which is just, I mean, let, let's just be honest here. Benjamin Button is terrible. And I don't understand how or why. Right. Um, it's just one of those things. I, if there was ever – so I have, I have my own insane theories about that. Like he is very good friends with Brad Pitt. He, yes. was, he was willing to rescue Brad Pitt's World War Z movie and take over helming that. He was willing to make a sequel to that. I think he finds the, the – perhaps the – the promise of just making a movie with his best friend and doing the best job he can, no matter what a giant amorphous glob of shit it may be, kind of intoxicating, you know? I, I, you know, these are these are all, you know, your armchair quarterbacking, but Benjamin Button is the one film, and, and, and I think Mank is, is a pretty strange piece of his filmography now, too. Uh, but I at least understand Mank, and I also think Mank is a very charming movie. Uh, Benjamin Button is like a humorless charmless strange movie uh resting nestled in this filmography of otherwise like angular uh fully functional works it's the it's the one film of his that i don't like that i just like i like i'm grateful for it being the first thing i ever saw taraji henson in Mm -hmm. you know it set me right up for uh, hustle and flow but um, I just – that film, I've, I have no interest in ever watching it again. And it's weird because it wasn't like – like when it was over, I wasn't like that was terrible. It just – there was nothing there. There was <laughs> nothing for me to connect to. And it's so strange because like it's the opposite of most Fincher where it's like, wow, he is elevating some garbage. Like I can see certain filmmakers pulling your heartstrings with, you know – grabbing one of F. Scott Fitzgerald's you know, treasured short stories that has like a very on-the-nose, very evocative and heartstring-pulling type theme. And David Venture doesn't pull your heartstrings at any moment over the course of that film. Really strange, because he is a master manipulator. He is very good at getting a lot of people uh, on a project to make you feel one specific emotion. And it's the only one where he c- completely fails at it. Because this is a guy who like puts... The scary, like, forget Exorcist 3. Forget that scare. Forget Exorcist 1. Forget the scares in that. The scariest scene I've ever felt in a movie is in uh, Roger Rabbit's basement in Zodiac. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the most frightened I've ever been. And, and it was basically, and I love it when Fincher shows off. Fincher's like, I have, a, I have a, par, a part in this movie where I get to do something fun to the viewer. He does that, and he did not do it in Benjamin Button at all. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, uh, we have prattled on about Alien 3 long enough, but I do want to give you a chance to kind of give your final summation, your, your, your closing argument about what uh, Alien 3, uh, what it is for you and to you before we get to our Thanksgiving Thanksgiving. Um, to me, Alien 3, I mean, like I said, it's the first, the first like real in-depth critical writing I ever had to do was the essay that got me into NYU writing about that film. Right. And you never, um, and you can never get stuff like that back. That will always be within you, you know, that, so yeah, it's a linchpin yeah. for you. But it also, I mean, it also, it's very dear to me because it was the first time that 
from from the moment that I got out of that screening, which I actually I had to, my friend Michael Willers, he had to get the tickets because I was under uh, uh, eighteen at the time <laughs> because that that was back in the state of Tennessee when you had to be eighteen to see an R rated movie, it, even though it says you know seventeen under seventeen not admitted without parent or guardian, but in the fascist state of Tennessee you had to be eighteen. Um, so I did, it was the same summer as Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, but uh, fortunately I had tall friends. <laughs> but um, but like from the moment that that screening let out and I like walked out into the world, I was like, this is something special. Like I, I've always said that those two films like kickstarted the part of my brain that is why I'm a film critic now. Because before then, I had terrible taste in movies. I mean, there were a lot of things that I saw that were good that I liked, but like you know, I saw Stop or My Mom Will Shoot on opening night in theaters. Sure. Like, there's, there, there's, there. Ooh, shame. What's but, um, what's interesting about Alien Three is I liked that this movie when it came out when I was like a teenage boy, and I like it as an adult. So it hits on different levels. And then I also have to mention that you have this great Alien Three is your film criticism that got you in NYU and, and enhanced your life. I have a similar story with a complete inverse where I wrote a review of American Beauty, an effusive, nauseating, mind-blowingly poor review of American Beauty that got me a scholarship to uh, University of Georgia that didn't take that my parents have framed on the wall of the room that I stay in that I have to read every time I'm in there. And I don't like American Beauty and don't want to, to relive that, but it haunts me to this day. So I'm glad that yours is like a feel-good story <laughs> as opposed to my haunting childhood prose. It happens. I mean, like it's you know your aesthetics evolve. I've always said that like the key to like it's if you know if if we as a culture actually valued arts criticism, which <laughs> doesn't happen now, but like you should be, every five years you should have to revisit the reviews you've written about films, yeah, and see what's changed and what's similar. But the the whole thing about in, about Alien Three is that from that first night, I was getting in fights over that film, right? You know, like people hated it, and I was like, I was like like honing my craft, like, you know, defending it. So it's like, you know, for, and for the longest time, that was the film I got in the most fights over. And then, you know, they put out the, uh, the assembly cut. And then like that sort of like changed things up entirely. Like there's still people who like, who like want to hate on it. Like, I'm just like, Oh, you're hating on alien three. That's so 1994. Right. Um, which is fine. You know, who am I to ha- – like being particular about the art that re- you respond to, there's no shame in that whatsoever. But I just feel like a lot of people's hatred of Alien 3 is very lazy. I just don't fuck – I don't fucking buy it. I do not fucking buy Alien 3 hate. I think it's responding to uh, a criticism of a film that almost doesn't exist or it's just almost like hearsay hatred because if you watch it – it's a really good alien movie. Well, this is not Alien Resurrection we're talking about here. I mean, Alien Resurrection has its has its pluses and pleasures as well. Uh, alien Resurrection, all- to me, especially if you watch the makings of, not that bad. <laughs> no, it's I'll tell you the key. The main problem with Alien Resurrection, and I, I want to be very careful with my words here, sure, uh, because um, the the thing about Alien Resurrection is. You know, for all his travails and problematic tendencies, Joss Whedon is a very good writer in idiomatic English. And at that point in time, Genet was still working with an interpreter. Right. And of all of the alien films, Resurrection is the script 
that you most need someone who understands the intricacies of, of idiomatic English handling it. So the key to that, and this is how this is how you up Alien Resurrection a star and a half. Watch it with the French language track. Oh, interesting. And English subtitles. Yeah, and he's working with you know some actors that he's worked with many times and has a rapport with, and then he obviously has no rapport with um, Sigourney Weaver because that's probably her roughest performance. I think. Uh, I also think. Oh, I think she's great. I think she's. I think she's running the show on her own performance there. I mean, she was a producer on it, and I think she's incredible in that with those like those beautiful black nails and like the way it that is she's, like some next level the, shit for sure. The physicality in that performance is so good, and it's the same cinematographer as Seven, Darius Kanji. Yeah, who's like she goes. Great. He was. He was using the, that that bleach bypass right. silver retention process. Such distinctively beautiful films. She goes full Frankenfurter in that movie, which I respect. Oh, she's great. Like, she's like it is. I, all, I, she is in a different movie than some of those act. That's that's one of the problems with that movie is that like everyone's in a different movie. It feels like to me. But I I do think the problem with with Resurrection, I, I still think Janae and everything is a perfect choice for it, and I and I like. A lot of the iconography and a lot of things that went there. I think Josh Whedon, he's essentially like a fan fiction guy. Like he loves to play in sandboxes. Like he's a he, he works great. I think in like his X Men comics work great because he's good at playing in these in these uh, sandboxes. But I think for an alien movie, for a motion picture, you always have to be. That's why I love the first three. You always have to be doing something completely different and breaking new ground. Whereas, and I just don't feel that from from the fourth. Although I still, you know, like I said, I, I can still put that on any time and get something out of it. I think I think that there is ground being broken in the fourth one, but it's almost all like visual and in Sigourney Weaver's performance. Like I like, I like Whedon's script for that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's like, I, I, I can never, well, I mean like not getting into his personal things. I can never forgive him for how like he um, uh, infantilized the character of Kitty pride. It's like, (laughs) Stop trying to make her into like Chris Claremont era. Just quit it. Yeah, him, him and Claremont had had a thing for for their characters yeah. at points. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but Chris Claremont made it work, and yeah. we uh, I don't know. But um, but but yeah, seriously though, the next time you want to watch Resurrection, watch it with the French language track and the English subtitles because it definitely there's because a lot of the cast did their own dubbing. Mm-hmm. As well, like like um, uh, Dominique Pignon, and I think Sigourney Weaver does her own French dubbing too. Oh, neat! Uh, but it's it's yeah, but it's it's definitely it it eliminates one of my main problems with it, um, and it's you know it it holds up. It's it's a uh, it's fun. I love them all. I love Prometheus. I love Covenant. I love all six of them. I've oh wow for a book on all six of them, but I, I keep holding just to see what horrors Disney is going to do with it. Um, I, can, I, I, I lose it at Prometheus. That's the one I can't stomach. And then I kind of get it back a little bit with Covenant. But but basically, I, I, with those movies, it's it's all about just uh, that's that's where I think you've got the like the fan fiction thing where we're delving too much into the mythology at this point and and not and getting getting too far away from like the 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 instinctual reasons these movies work because they obviously look good and Ridley still somehow at 83 still got it but uh that's where they lose me but 
I, you wanna, I would still you read know, that book, though, Jason. <laughs> you want to know the film that uh, um, that is, you know, Alien Three was the one I got in the f- most fights over for the long time, longest time, and then briefly, you know, before we found out what was going on with the director and uh, main villain of Su- Superman Returns. Mm-hmm was one that I got in fights on for a while. But in the past 10 years, I'd say The Counselor. Has oh, taken- man. The Counselor is amazing. The Counselor is amazing. Counselor is amazing. Um, Are you a unrated director's cut guy or a regular yeah. guy? Oh, absolutely. The director's cut, yes. I just gave to regular co-host Sean the unrated director's cut. I found out I didn't have it, and I got it to him within 12 hours. <laughs> I, I want to see the film with undubbed Cameron Diaz. Yes! Like, her wrong. Apparently she was doing a Rihanna voice? Yeah, a, a Barbadian accent. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I'm, it's it's in the trailer. It's in the trailer in, like, one line. But, like, I think she's great in that. Um, I yes! Love, I love anytime, anytime you've got, like, a a, a a chrome diva ruling things and, like, killing everyone around her, I, you know, you're going to win. Like at that, that point in time, it probably wouldn't work nowadays. But if, if they, if the Marvel Cinematic Universe had been a thing like 20 <laughs> years ago, yeah. Cameron Diaz would have made a great Emma Frost. Yes. Cameron Diaz you know, is one of those actor, actors we've lost. I don't know. And, and, and I think the counselor might have done her in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like you, you, you. You get in a situation where you have to deal with this foolishness for years and years, and like she's trying. I think she was smart with her money, so yeah. I mean, just like don't don't go through that if you don't have to. I mean, she did um, her thing. She got to work with Scorsese. She worked with Ridley Scott. She did the damn thing. She can enter her house justified, as Sam Peckinpah would say. Uh, <laughs> oh, she's, she's incredible. She's incredible. I'll tell you who who should be Emma Frost now is Amy Simons. Ah, uh, oh, from uh, Alien, uh, a, a, a fellow Florida uh, State Film yeah. School, um, actually, when I was there. Uh, but yes, yeah, she's uh, she was in Covenant, I believe, right? Yeah, she was in Covenant, and she's also she she directed a film, She Dies Tomorrow, this right. year that's incredible. And she's also she's in the new Adam Egypt Mortimer film, Arch Enemy, and oh. like her performance in that, I was just like, give her like big budget sci fi roles because she's incredible in this. Um, she has a so, she has a market intensity that not a lot of people can bring to the screen. Oh yeah, yeah, and she like she she can she can do delicate, and she can also do like 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 serrated, sharp edged as well. And I dig that. Um, and you know that's 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 Sigourney Weaver across the 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 first of the of the, the quartet is that right. like she can do so many, she she's so good at all these different aspects of the human experience and she does it all in the course of being one character and you know you gotta love her for that and she's so good like i love resurrection i do but if you just watch the first three like the ending of alien three is a perfect ending to that character and it's why why one of the reasons why resurrection works so well is because they're like this isn't the same character this is something different and i was like yeah you have to do that can you uh, illuminate something for me? I don't know if this is true, but I felt like in the work print, the last scene, and I swear, folks, Kill Donkeys, we are getting to the Thanksgiving Ranksgiving. We will make Jason pick. But I felt like the climax of the scene, which, bonus points, it features Lance Henriksen again, one of my favorite actors, can't have 
can't have enough Lance Henriksen, but the scene where he is trying to convince her to turn herself over uh-huh. so that they can extract the alien and, as he says, and she does not believe, kill it. I feel like in the work print, the amount of time she ruminates yes. on that is significantly no. longer. It is. It is. And it's the best version of that scene. By far. The best version of that scene. Because, like, in the theatrical version, it's, like, maybe 10 seconds. Yeah. And in the assembly cut, it's, like, 20. But it's got the score. And I love that score. I love that theme. That that It's called Adagio on the soundtrack album. I love Goldenthal's theme for that. But in the work print, where it's just the silence... That, and it is a full minute. And it's all <laughs> it felt and it, it felt long and it felt powerful. Incredible! It is incredible. It is one of the most devastating experiences, and it's it's straight up uh, Passion of Joan of Arc, Coffee of yes. the Dryer. It is, um, but it's yeah, it's incredible. And it's like when I when I teach, I have a seminar that I teach called uh, Joan of Archetype. Oh, that interesting. Deals like that, how that image and that iconography recurs throughout lots of different narratives, through lots of different art traditions. And I show that scene from the work print because most people have never seen that version. You know, if best case scenario, they've seen the assembly cut, right. but it's still, it does get the emotion of that across. I, it's, it's a very different uh, experience than the assembly cut. And I know that it's mostly the same shots, but the... The bleak, uh, and and then and I I guess Vincent War would be happy about this. The monastic feel to Alien Three is preserved in the work print, which kind of disappears uh, oh, in, in the in the assembly cut. And then the, the ending is just like a complete gut punch because you don't have the visceral uh, Queen trying to escape Ridley's Ripley's chest and getting pulled back in. That kind of like shocks you back into blockbuster mode. You don't have you have the you have this little coda after Morse is taken away, where you return to the 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 parlance and the actual words and sounds of the first movie, and it's just like all is lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and also one of the other things that I love about the work print, and it's specifically because the image is so degraded, yeah. is that like like anytime they dump something into the furnace, it just like like you know yes. like after it just it just blasts out the whites yeah, are so it, strong yeah it was like, like the, it was like the it was like the breaking into the safe and thief like that level heat is that kind of torch you know like yeah it just you lose you lose the detail of it and i love that it's so beautiful it's such a and it's like i mean that the, and the, the the work print the way that the shadows are in that it's like a bruegel painting right. i mean like the film is already a bruegel painting but that's like even more so where it's like like at some point it doesn't even feel like it's cutting it feels like it's coalescing yeah um like shadow areas of one scene just sort of like flow into the next one it's just oh it's great i love it okay we've come to it i need you to look if you can in your mind's eye if i need to i can list them off for you but if you can in your mind's eye look at the films of david fincher and place alien 3 within the pantheon we need your manksgiving ranksgiving where is alien 3 on your fincher list okay now i will because the the work print is the only version of it that was that was put together while he was still part of the production, that's the version I'm talking Absolutely. about. I, I will abide by his preference that the theatrical and assembly cuts are not considered his film. I'm fine with that. In the um, words of uh, Mike Myers, in the words of an old Jewish lady, different picture. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, 
Hold on. I'm, uh... So we begin at the beginning with Alien 3 in 1992. In 1995, we have 7. In 1997, we have The Game. In 1999, we have Fight Club. 2002, Panic Room. 2007, Zodiac. 2008, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. 2010, Social Network. 2011, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. 2014, Gone Girl. And 2020, Mank, which you have seen, and we will be detailing on this week's uh, uh, food court. Uh, you kill donkeys out there. But that's the list. Okay. Yeah, you had to get All the right. pen and paper out. <laughs> I did, I did, yeah. That's my nature, though. I'm very analog. Oh, uh, yeah. Number 10, number 10, Benjamin Button. Yes. That's that's no surprise. Number 9, Mank. Okay. Uh, those are the only, like, I don't like Benjamin Button. I find Mank, I, I didn't, it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but it just didn't do much for me. It's his big fish. It's uh, Mank that's, is, that's what I'm saying. Mank is so to my tastes that it's almost uh-huh. unfair, and I'm just going to like it more than most people. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? But, it's one of those things. But I, I, I agree that it is it is low low in the rankings. But from here on out, I actually like all of these films. So Fuck yeah. <laughs> number eight, Fight Club. Okay. Number seven, Panic Room. Okay. Number six, Seven. Okay. Uh, number five, The Game. Okay. Which for a longest the longest time was my favorite because I feel like it's his it's his most human film, um, <laughs> and also you know Deborah Cara Unger and Linda Manns can't go wrong there. Um, uh, number four, um, Social Network. Number three, uh, Alien Three Work Print. Number two, Gone Girl. Number one, Zodiac. All right, I think your list is. Pretty similar to my own. As I'm doing this Thanksgiving Thanksgiving, I'm finding things move around a lot. The one you left off that I have to know, where is the girl with the dragon tattoo? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I, I probably left put... it out when I was saying them. Okay. Well, then uh, now my numbering's all wrong. <laughs> I think I we just say, pushed uh, seven to seven, did we? No, no. It's, a, <laughs> it's between Fight Club and Mank. Okay. I, still, I like it. I like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. But um, I would I would I would put it just under Fight Club. I, I I like your rankings. I think the the place where I am finding the most divergence for me with most people is uh-huh. I love Panic Room so much. But I like that you got so you you end up with Alien Three at three. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Panic Room. Panic Room. I mean, how can you not love a film that starts out with Anne Magnuson? <laughs> Um, the casting in panic room is definitely the best part of panic room for me that's the one where he has just nailed it to the wall because i know you you make fun of uh, jared leto in it but i that's like the only mover i'm like oh yeah this is perfect this son of a bitch i know this person in my i feel this person uh but i you know alien 3 i really expected alien 3 to be around the fight club area for me because i have it kind of similar to where you are where i love fight club but it doesn't it doesn't work for me on the level the rest of fincher stuff does but i definitely have moved alien 3 into the like four to five realm as well uh the work print really changed things a lot for me and then also just revisiting it as a 38 year old guy and cutting the bullshit and 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 just uh, taking it on its own terms uh, kind of uh-huh. changes the game for for Alien Three as far as looking at it, which is kind of hard to do. But w- when you're able to just look at it 
you know, on it on its own on its own accord, it's a pretty impressive fucking movie and a really ostentatious debut picture. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's like it's it is uh, it's 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 the thing that makes it boggles my mind how he has such a contentious relationship with Wells because like that was I mean like he was the closest thing that Hollywood got to that in the nineties. Yeah. I mean, it 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 is a thou doth protest too much type situation where, or like the student has become the master shit because the parallels between their careers and the actual shit that Wells is heartbroken about are all right there. Uh, I oh, yeah. I get it. Fincher's like a no bullshit, like sardonic, like skinny dude, and Wells is a a, a, a bombastic. Uh, you know, uh, uses. 18 syllables when three will do, uh, you know, d- dilettante. It's just but different those strokes. Extra 15 syllables are the right ones. <laughs> you got them right. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I love Wells. I Me love too. Wells. But the, uh, one, one other thing that I wanted to say real quick is that the, the hysterical legacy of Fight Club is that it is exactly like Heather's in that the people that it's making fun of yes. embraced it wholeheartedly yes. and without picking up on the irony of that. Right. And and even in my most recent uh, viewing of it, there were moments where I was like, I can't tell when Fincher's joking in this one sometimes. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it, that, that one, that is, that is uh, you know, Fight Club and Seven are like the two, they are masterpieces, but they are the two most irrepressibly 90s to me. And, and it's like when I read Alan Moore's Watchmen, I'm like, I fucking love this. I regret its influence. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and that's that's the thing is that like and again, Alien 3, some people could say that it helped like really solidify a lot of the edgelord tendencies in genre entertainment of the 90s. But mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't think so, because it was rejected by so many people. Exactly. I, I just don't, I feel like the also, narrative surrounding Alien 3 doesn't match with what, what with what we've got here. Yeah. It's just anybody who would call Alien 3 Edgelord, I'm just like, I, I, no, no. There's, there's way too much thought in it and there's way too much like agency and interest in its uh, female protagonist. Yeah, plus Joan of Arc comes in and like suns all the, all the monks. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> she, well, I mean, she like, is she is soon, put to she is put to the funeral pyre literally of her own of her own choice. I mean, you can't call it that. <laughs> as soon, it's 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 the most on the nose symbolism. But as soon as her EV, as she and the alien crash on the planet, the sun goes behind the planet <laughs> and it doesn't come out again until she's dead and has rid the planet of the alien at the oh, end. Beautiful. Well, Jason, it's uh, it's been a true joy to have you on, and we'll have to do it again soon. Uh, for Jason, I'm John Burke. Thanks again, Jason. Absolutely. Absolutely.